always the goal to have more people listening than doing the show. That's the goal. <laughs> that makes uh, sense. We have done shows like theater shows back in the day where that wasn't the case. There were more people in the cast than in the audience, and that makes you feel really bad. Yeah, that's like playing like playing gigs, and there's like ten people there, and they're all your friends who came with you. Yeah. <laughs> oh, I mean, I I started streaming on Twitch, and I literally have like one person watching me, or no people watching. <laughs> So I understand this. So, yeah. It grows. It it's grows. it's not as bad when it's like streaming because you don't see the emptiness like you would in like a, you know, uh, uh, some sort of Fair. theater or something like that where you're just literally staring out and there's nobody. It's just empty. It doesn't have the same gravitas. Exactly. <laughs> Jenna, you doing what's happening? You are, right? Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to make sure. We're prepared. I don't cut cut you off. Well, I I actually did one this week for the first time in a while, so I think people have been missing it. So they crave hen news, Jen. There's no there's no hen news. <sighs> I'm sorry. All right, welcome to Talk Around Riyadh, the Wheel of Time Showcast. I am your host Joe Perry here with my co-hosts Jen Isgro and Tom Koza. How are you doing today, Jen? I am doing great. It is Friday once again. We have some fun stuff to talk about. We have a great guest, and I am anxious to get started. Yes, that is true. That is true. Tom, how are you doing? I'm also doing well for all the reasons that Jen said, plus the fact that today was today was the debut of Blue's Big City Adventure, the Blue's Clues <laughs> and You movie, uh, which my family has been greatly anticipating and was <laughs> unbelievably good. Really, really <laughs> Well done. Tons of uh, Broadway cameos. I was uh, I was quite impressed and highly recommend it to everyone who wishes they were still a child. Who? How old is uh, Steve? Steve, right? That's the guy's name? Steve is not young. He's older than us. Uh, but he's in it. And the guy who replaced him, his brother, uh, Joe, who's not his real brother, uh, they're both in it. But it's about the new guy, uh, Josh. Oh my oh, gosh. So they keep, yeah, that's hard to keep up with. It's really whatever. It's not that it, hard. It's not that hard. I, it's I, for preschoolers. And if they you get watched it. it. Right? It's so okay. hard to keep up with that I didn't know Blue's Clues was still something that was on. Well, it wasn't on for a long time. It, Blue's <laughs> Clues was on in like the 90s. It's like 26 yeah. years ago now. Right? Y- yes. It was my son with, is 26. I am intimately yeah. familiar with it. <laughs> so, yeah, it was like, um, it was Steve. He was on it for like, yes. I think, four or five years. Then yeah. he went to college. And his brother, Joe, was on the show for a couple of years. Then the show was over. And then like a few years ago, it came back as Blue's Clues and You. And their cousin, Josh, is now the guy. Oh, wow. Okay. Steve is a Here's a bit of trivia for you. The guy who played Joe is also the voice of Bot on Timu Mizumi. True. For those of you who are really into Nick Jr. Umizumi, yeah. Donovan Patton played Bot, which is still a favorite in my house. Timu Mizumi. But anyway. Welcome to our Nick Jr. podcast. What did Bot? What did Bot used to say? He, he what was his uh, catchphrase? Doinks, belly, doinks. belly, belly screen. Yeah. Belly screen. Yeah. yeah. I watched the show belly still. Screen. Like I literally just watched it, so that's why I'll never yeah. forget it. I miss those shows. Yeah. You know what I really miss? And I know we're getting. Beth, we'll get <laughs> to you in a minute just... here. We have, <laughs> we have to reminisce about our favorite Nick Jr. shows. One of my favorite shows, and I missed it when my kids grew out of it, was Bubble Guppies. Oh, oh, I still watch that guppies. too. Oh my god, the songs it. in that show were so awesome. <laughs> they they were like yeah. they were like radio quality pop songs. 
Yeah. I yeah. Miss, I, miss I think them. they have like real, like, you know, actual pop producers do their songs. They still make new episodes of that. Really? Yeah. They, you that can watch it. Was, I thought it ended it's like after like four seasons it's or still something. On. No, they have a new oh. guppy. A couple years ago, they thought mm-hmm. they had a new guppy. Yeah, uh, yeah it's still on. My nephew right? lived yeah. with me for two so. years until just this last month. He went to go live back with his mom. But so he was only, he's only four. So, I mean, I have grown children, but I also had a toddler yeah. in my house very recently. <laughs> so this is all, you know, I'm aware. It's go. not going over my head. Okay, good. So. All right, so I, I should probably introduce our guest for the <laughs> evening and for this episode, friend of the show and all-around awesome person, the incomparable comparable Beth Doman. How you doing today, Beth? I am great. Thank you so much for having me. Why the surname Doman? Uh, because, Doman. well, some people dared me once to speak for a very long time in Bale Doman's accent. And <laughs> it kind of stuck. I do wow. be Beth Doman. <laughs> I do be thinking this do be a fun time. It will so be. So I decided when um, I was going to start streaming and stuff that I didn't want to use like my real name because, mm-hmm. you know, you hear the horror stories of doxing and stuff on the internet. So I was like, mm-hmm. might as well just, everybody knows me as Beth already. So I just, appropriated the last name Doman. So that's how so that did happened. You, did you say it, doxing? Yeah. Is yeah. it good or bad that the three of us have never been doxed? I don't know what that is. We, so it's uh, basically people, like people yeah. put your information out, your your private information out in the public forum. So oh, like, okay. and it's, it normally happens to like, you know, big YouTubers or stream mm-hmm. like Twitch streamers. And you just don't want your personal information to get put out there. Like you hear, um, I think, Nablus has said if you ever start doing a um any kind of like YouTube channel or something, you don't want to use your real information. Like Daniel Green, the thing he regrets is not having like a stage name yeah. set up before he got famous because everybody knows his real information. So wow. I mean everybody knows mine too because it's no mystery, but I figured I might as well just because. Joe, a long time ago there was a there was a website that we I, I advise to not get too angry at because they are notorious for doing this. It's like a retaliatory thing. If they don't like your uh, opinion or the way that you say things or who you are, they just go after you and they let everyone know where you really live. So you get like mail and stuff to your house. Uh, People are in the area that don't like mature. you. They come by. What's the thing where, oh, SWAT? Is this a real thing? Yeah, or yes. it's just it's a real thing. Yeah, where they call the SWAT team at your house when you're streaming and then yes. like, they come and arrest you, but it's fake. It's terrible. It's terrible. It's like a prank, and it's a, prank call. It's, a prank. it's like a prank. It's yeah. a 21st century prank call. Yeah. That can have wow. very serious repercussions. So. Oh, I can imagine if the yeah. people who, who made the call get found out, they're in big trouble. Yep. I imagine they're, the people who are making the call are smart enough to use all kinds of anti-tracking uh, things. I don't know. Yep. You can tell I know what I'm talking about. Um <laughs> Wow, we're really not talking about Wheel of Time. We're going to talk about Wheel of Time. I'm bringing us to Wheel of Time because we've got a lot to talk about. There's there's news to talk about. There's uh, a book to talk about. Hey, oh. And we've been missing it. Everyone's been missing it for the last few weeks. So I'm going to you, Jen. It's been a long time. People want to know what's happening. Dr. Grant, my dear Dr. Sattler, welcome to What's Happening. <laughs> what? <laughs> 
Okay, first up, you, we have a trailer. Before what? you say that, okay. you need to tell me you're going to do that beforehand so I, so I can have the Jurassic Park music ready <laughs> for when <laughs> you do it. You can put it in a post. You can put it in a post. No, it's too late. You've ruined it. Okay. Go ahead. All right. First up, we have a trailer for a new movie featuring Daniel Henney called Missing. So Daniel writes on Insta, had a blast on this one. Ha- Wait, let me do that again. Had a blast on this one. <laughs> Time is running out. From the minds behind searching, hashtag missing movie is only in movie theaters January 20th. Text 310-634-1918 to join the search. So the trailer is very interesting. It's about a woman who goes missing while vacationing in another country with her boyfriend and her daughter's desperate search to find her. However, the whole movie is displayed through the daughter's phone screen and computer as she calls and FaceTimes people for help and researches ways to find her mom. So Daniel plays an FBI agent, which I'm pretty sure is what he played in the last movie trailer of his that we spoke about. But I guess being a hot government agent in a suit is a role that works for him. <laughs> is, anyway, this, da- <laughs> is this the girl from... Um, uh, the, the sister from... Uh, what's the, I can't think of it. The, the one with Zendaya on HBO. Euphoria? Looks, yeah, is that the sister? Her little I don't sister? Know. I don't know. It looks like her. Um, I'm not sure. But okay. um, <laughs> anyway, as Daniel said, this movie is not streaming. So get to the theaters on January 20th and go see it. Did you try texting Jen that number to see yes. what happens? No, I didn't. You do it? You did it, Tom? No, I'm doing it right, right, right about now. Euphoria. It's the girl from Euphoria. Oh, Euphoria. Oh, oh. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. I'm like Rain Man. I'm like 30 I don't seconds want it. I don't want to start getting texts about the movie. I'm sure it's good, but I don't want to join the search. I'll just see what happens when no. I watch the movie. <laughs> Daniel Henney as an FBI agent, I loved him in Criminal Minds before I even knew he was going to be in Mm -hmm. Middle of Time. So I'm already a fan. And I watched Daniel Henney in any clothing or no clothing or anything in between. It's acceptable. Is he an FBI agent in Criminal Minds? Oh, yes. Yeah. 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 Oh, I'm talking about the other movie, the Korean movie. Oh, where he played an American. So he's been an FBI agent three times. Yes. Yes. He's a lot of law enforcement. If I didn't realize that was watched FBI. Criminal Minds, he's like no, in the last three seasons. There no. are some shirtless moments with Daniel Honey in Criminal Minds. Okay. Worth the watch. Yeah. Worth the yes. watch. Well, yeah. I do like Law and Order, so maybe it's. It my wife like it's loves my Criminal Minds. It's a good show. I've I watched a lot of it too, just because mm-hmm. she watches it. it is a good so, show. by proxy, I, I didn't see many of the Daniel Honey seasons though. So, but I have seen a few episodes. So. Well, if you can't wait till January 20th and you don't want to leave your house, you can check out Alexander Viome in his new Netflix show, 1899. So Alexander writes on Insta, 1899, now streaming, uh, with a poster for the show. So per Wikipedia, 1899 is a German multilingual epic period mystery horror streaming television series. It's a lot. Uh, It's a lot of stuff. It's set in 1899, wouldn't you know it? It follows a group of European migrants traveling from London on a steamship, um, and they encounter another migrant ship adrift on the open sea. A hitherto uncomplicated journey to the promised land turns into a horrifying nightmare of staggering proportions. Hmm. Is this like Mm. Event Horizon in the past on on the ocean? That's what it sounds like. I didn't see Event Horizon. I can't tell if the boat that they encounter is... Empty? No, it can't be. I've seen the trailer for this. The poster 
it looks Bermuda Triangle esque. Yeah, there's like mm-hmm. three different. Right. Yeah, it's so, like. So I yeah. imagine it's a boat from the past or from the future, whatever. I've seen a trailer and it looks very weird in a good way. And yeah. um, it's on my list of stuff to watch. But it, I think it just dropped this week. So I haven't. Yeah, I think yesterday. I haven't. Um, or two days yet, ago. But, yeah. I might give Alexander it a watch. plays Anker, a religious Danish man who's going to New York with his family. So there's eight episodes currently streaming. Check them out in case we don't get to see Alexander in season two of Wheel of Time. We better. Yeah. Or we yeah. right. We don't know yet. <laughs> I'm confident that I'm not he'll confident. be there. I'm not. Okay, that's all for me. Back to you, Joe. <sighs> you know what time it is. And guess what, people? We actually have it's some like news. like a xylophone. It is xylophone. <laughs> oh, and we're back for another edition of Where's What Origins. And I'm happy to say Jen has some news on where What Origins is. Jen. Give it to them. This just in, we have an Instagram post from Rami Park, who is a writer of Watt Origins. So Rami wrote on Instagram one day ago, so it's not just in. But our Ogier episode of Origins won a Clio. I know it's not August, but it'll do for now. Congrats to the team. Thank you, Clio Awards. Um, Beth, do you happen to still have that Clio information up or no? Uh, let's see. Um, just, just for some context. I actually do. Okay. The Clio Awards is an annual award program that recognizes innovation and creative excellence in advertising, design, and communication as judged by an international panel of advertising professionals. Mm. Amazing. So congratulations. I commented as talk around Riyadh. Congratulations. Any word on the rest of the episodes. So Rob from Weekly Real News actually said, Light, if you ever heard, you'd have to cancel this hit segment of your podcast. When we said, we'd take the loss to get the episodes. And Rami responded, no, sadly. But as soon as I do, I will share. So we have big news that there is still no news. (laughs) Straight from the horse's mouth, we got the news of no news. The official word. Do you guys remember... I can't remember the show, but Gary No Ganoos is good Ganoos with Gary Ganoos. Oh, <laughs> vaguely. It was from like the Magic Space Shuttle. I can't remember, but it was like a Muppets type show in the 80s. No Ganoos is good Ganoos with Gary Ganoo. That's what that totally reminds me of every week when I hear it. Sorry, tangent. <sighs> I'm done now. that one. See, Zool knows it was PBS. Yes. And so the Great Space Coaster, yes, Johnson A. Uh, the oh, there you go. Great Space Coaster. No I do not know what Gadoo. that show is. With Gary Gadoo. It's yes. nice, though, that Rami acknowledged, uh, like, you know, made a mention of the August thing in her post. So she must know that everyone's wondering where this is. Now, I'm starting to think maybe Rafe was saying it is in August, but August 2023. Come on. But I don't know. If he did, we're going to be hearing this music Many, many, many more times. Yeah. I wonder so how long yeah, it's interesting it. how long this runs for. But <laughs> I'm not all right. about it. 
<laughs> that was the most uh, the most news we've had on Where's Wild Origins ever, ever. since we started this segment. So uh, let's that closes out our Where's Wild Origins segment. All right, let's get into the news. <laughs> we've got some news to talk about. Now, if you remember a while ago, a couple of weeks ago, Dragon Mount started a rewatch of the first season of The Wheel of Time, and they were um, soliciting questions from the viewers, and then they were picking or having people on Twitter vote on the best question so that Rafe could answer it. And Rafe answered a question on the first episode, and then he kind of went silent, and he did come out and apologize. He was, you know, been very busy, you know, working on the third, uh, second season, but he did come back. Oh, third season. You're right. It is a third season. He's working on a third season. He did come back, though, and answer the questions from episodes two, three, and four. So we're going to go through those right now. And I'm going to do my best as I can to, to track these because it's all in one Twitter thread and it's very difficult to follow. Elon Musk, if you want to fix anything about Twitter, fix the way threads appear because it's like impossible to track really long threads and what's going on in them. So the question for episode two was... Uh, this one came from uh, at White Aja Sien. What additional scenes were cut from episode two and why? Also, can we see them, please? And thank you. Um, so let's see. There were so many cut from this episode that I miss. Some at script stage and some after we shot. Hopefully those will eventually make it to your screens. I'll talk about two I miss from the script. Uh, one was land fighting and killing the fade. And seeing it take down the large group of Trollocs that were controlled by it, it was a great moment for Lan and helped lay out the rules of our world. Now, this is something when we were watching the episodes that I said I was really disappointed that we didn't see. Mm -hmm. It's good to know that, you know, Rafe had the scene. Now, I don't know if these were filmed, though. Like, he didn't indicate if no, these were filmed. No, he said these weren't filmed. These right? were cut from the script, right? Okay, didn't he I mean, say, but didn't filmed. that say that he hoped that we'd see them on the screen? Um, I thought he said, there's some that I hope you'll see, and then here's some that were cut from the script. Cut like from they the never okay, made. That's oh, what yeah. I think he meant. Yeah. He said yeah, yeah, some yeah. at script stage and some we shot. And he said, I'll talk yeah. about two I missed from the script. So this right. is a, this is a script one. You think about episode one and the stuff that they put. Well, I don't This is episode two. I'm sorry. You think about episode two and what they what they could have cut from there to fit this in. At what point in the story does he kill the Fade, do you think? In the book, Like or? in episode two. In episode two, I mean. What, po what oh. part of that episode would you have put that in? Where does episode two end? I don't Shader remember. Logo. Uh, episode Shader Logoth. Logoth. It would be the like when they, when they escape there. Nynaeve yeah. at the, isn't at the end when Nynaeve yeah. hits him at knife point and she's like, yeah, yeah. So where it, are my friends? It probably would have been them going to Shadow Logoth when, you know, they wake up. Egwene wakes up yeah. and the Trollocs are there. So it would have been like a small group of Trollocs that fell, but not all of them. Yeah, I imagine Land would have fought yeah. off the Fade. And... Mm. Okay. Yeah. Because you still needed the Trollocs. Oh, no. Actually, the Trollocs don't come into Shadar Logoth, right? No. Well, the they do in the book, but not in right. the show. Oh, I yeah. forgot about that. So it could have been right before they went into Shadar Logoth. That's yeah. right. Unlike the flight I forgot that they never went in, in the, or, on the show. as Land calls it, Shadar Logoth. <laughs> Dang British um, accents. How dare they? Uh, let's see here. Another was Moraine creating a, her wall of fire to hold back the Trolloc army chasing them. I remember loving that in the books and missed that we couldn't have it. I mean, I kind of understand cool why they would cut that because they already used the Terran ferry separation, you know, using the river to separate mm -hmm. them. Having 
the fire to further separate them. I mean, I can see why they wouldn't have both instances in the same episode, but it's still an epic scene mm-hmm. from, you know, showing her power and her abilities. It would have been cool to see that, but I can see why they didn't use it. Yeah, I agree. I, this one, though, it's a cool scene. I, I, I'm, you know what it is. When I read these, I was just really stuck on land fighting the fade and killing the fade because <laughs> I really wanted to see that in the show. Let's see. There was another one. Uh, oh, and a bonus third. There's too many. Was land teaching the boys to defend <laughs> themselves yes. with sword, staff, and axe, each uh, with its own emotional implications. Oh man. <sighs> This is the one that I got stuck on, I would say, because again, I think we were also banging that drum and every like these people don't know how to use the weapons that they're carrying because no one ever taught them. But maybe we're supposed to assume it happened; it just wasn't shown. Mm, no, I, how I would, do they? T- I don't. Know. I don't know. I don't. I don't want to talk about this anymore. This was upsets me. I feel like it. I'm. I'm thinking of like the scene in Lord of the Rings and Fellowship where like. Boromir is trying to teach the hobbits how to fight mm-hmm. and it's like so fun and carefree and like I feel like that doesn't I guess it wouldn't be the same vibe for Wheel of Time but that's what I what I picture like they're all laughing and having fun and like it doesn't fit into that episode you know what though this is more important than it was in the Wheel of Time uh, in the Lord of the Rings because no, I none know, of that no one in the Lord of the Rings you know the hobbits don't become blade masters and yeah right um, <laughs> so well you know what else that it kind of alludes to is that originally Perrin was gonna leave the two rivers with an axe he doesn't Mm -hmm. in the show so if they were going to if they were going to have him be trained with the axe by land then originally maybe his storyline wasn't quite so dire i guess Mm -hmm. i don't know another word for it um but yeah, I think from an emotional standpoint, first of all, Land's supposed to be the greatest swordsman alive, right? In in the Westlands that mm-hmm. we know of. And we did not one time, with the exception of the fight in Emmonsfield, see him. Besides yes. like working his sword forms with the warders, he never really showed his prowess in this entire season and i know there's been a lot of talk about that but this would have been a great way to at least show the discipline that a sword master has you know and i think it was a missed opportunity and it's sad that it didn't happen but hopefully they'll be able to make some ground up with season two yeah um i i remember that i was thinking that too like we didn't really get to see lan fight too much aside from that first episode i mean there was episode four but it was not really much, and it was kind of like scattered around. Right. Um, fighting the Fade would have been a not great opportunity for that, for him. That would have been a really cool sword fight. What a but, great, I don't want to use the word premonition. I'm thinking of a foreshadowing for like possible final season, yeah. Tarmin mm-hmm. Gaiden fight, like fighting mm-hmm. the Fade and then fighting somebody else who I don't, I won't say spoilers. Um, that would have been oh, awesome for the, the book so all the time. You can, you can. <laughs> the full spoiler podcast. If you had a, if you got to pick one, if if you could put one of these scenes in the show, only one. Which one would you pick, Jen? The, the last one, the training one. The training one, Tom. Yeah, the training. Beth. Same training. Yeah, uh, I really wanted that merge all fight, 
But he could kill a fade in season two. But yeah, the training one I think is more important to the story than yeah than the murder. Yeah, like one. when are they going to be trained? Now it's too late. I don't know. You can't do that. You, you can, can, but not with land. They're just going to inter- from. They're going to they're going to use a different uh, land. Can probably still train Rand because we Rand, already know like, up with Rand from the yeah. UC, yeah. right? And it's apparent Matt is going to get some sort of training in Tarvalon and um, Perrin. We'll just have to see where he picks up the axe. That's what I'm most interested in. Well, he could in. get training from the, the Shinarans. 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 From the Shinarans yes. and from Elias, because we know Elias yeah. is going to be there. Oh, that's true. So. Yeah, Elias too. Yeah. Yeah. Um, all right. So episode three question was from at Rose Colored Fact. What made you choose the tone and theme of Man Who Can't Forget for Tom's first song? Also, we'd love to know if it will be released to buy slash stream. Rafe's answer was, we wanted Tom to have more of an old Western vibe, successful, uh, in the show. So, so that brought a lot to the tone of the song. But Dave Hill actually wrote the lyrics for the man who can't forget about the dragon himself after he'd broken the world. Rewatch and you'll see how it hits Rand. I didn't know that Dave Hill wrote that. I thought, didn't they bring on those that songwriter or those couple of songwriters to write a song for the show? Um, we talked about them way, way, way back. Yeah. Um, I thought they wrote this song. Maybe they didn't use it. But maybe I'm wrong, or maybe they wrote the music for it, and they used Dave Hill's words. Mm. Definitely succeeded with the Old Western vibe. I kind of like it, although it's very different from the Tom and the books. It's Old West, so I kind of like that. And then the episode four question was from Rapunzel347. Mm. Is Jenny the dog really a dog, or is she code for something else? And is this a way for Alana to remind Moraine, I can keep your secrets? To which Rafe responded, Jenny the dog is really a dog, an Irish wolfhound, hard to hide. And yes, Alana is subtly reminding Moraine of their friendship and her ability to keep most secrets, something we will see more of in season two. Which is totally opposite from the books, because dogs are reverse to Aes Sedai in the books. It's cats that have an affinity to them. Mm -hmm. Um, But again, not being picky or anything. So, (laughs) yeah. Something we'll see more of in season two, Alana keeping Maureen's secrets. I'm guessing she's going to know that Rand's the dragon, and that's one of the secrets she's going to be keeping. Um, how would she know? Or that? the bond with Suan. Yeah, something. Oh, her her romance with I Suan. Mean, yeah, I think they're. Well, I could go into my go for it interjections on what we're <laughs> going to do with season two, but that's a whole other episode. So right now, <laughs> <laughs> there is one other thing too I wanted to talk about before we get into the book, Tom. This is something you found recently and just posted in our Discord. Um, Outpost VFX tweeted out, uh, join the Outpost team. We're hiring globally. We've got great opportunities for VFX artists to join us on high-profile shows like Fast X or Fast 10, I guess, Wheel of Time Season 2 and Foundation Season 2. So what does this mean that a VFX company is looking for uh, VFX artists to work on Season 2 of the Wheel of Time, which was finished principal photography, oh, I don't know, how many months ago now? I don't know. We had a party, but four, I don't remember when that four was. Four months, five months, <laughs> at least. Four, four months. Yeah, yeah, but yeah, we didn't think they were done yet, right? I think mean, one of the reasons, like we conjectured that the the wait was so long, was because of the backlog for VFX studios in in getting these things done. 
right? It's something we've talked about in prior episodes. But like anybody who was hoping for maybe it'll be soon. No, no, they don't even have the people to work on stuff yet. So hence my my uh, rant last week about stop putting out so much so many shows and so many crappy shows because you're using up all the VX people to work on crap when they could be working on good stuff. You hear that people? Yeah. Stop putting stop out TV putting shows. Stop putting out your crap. Stop putting out your crap. <laughs> Only put out what Joe wants, god damn it. No, just good stuff. It doesn't even have to be stuff that I like, but as long as a lot of people like it. How many shows do they put out on your streaming services that get canceled after the first season? Too many. People just put out any crap nowadays, and they're like, let's, let's make it, let's waste everybody's time and money on this crap, and then put it out and cancel it after it's been out for a few months. It's a waste of everybody's time. Okay. It's very mean, Joe. <laughs> mean? Who, who am I being mean to? The people who write the shows and the put people, them out. Like, one who man's... The right, like, the what crap they, shows? One man's trash is another man's treasure, right? That's the, that's the saying? Like, things that we think are crappy waste of time, somebody probably really loves that show. Yeah, but they canceled it, so it was a waste of time. Not every show that gets canceled after one season is a waste of time, Joe. It, why? Yeah, it is. No, I'm thinking of a good show that got canceled after one season. What was that show? It was called Firefly. Oh, very good show. Oh, fantastic show. Yeah. If it was so good, why didn't it come back? It came so back in a movie, movie and they tried to reboot they it. They made the movie. It cool. just it it never happened. I don't want it to come back now. It's too late. No, it's too late now. But back in the day, Firefly was yeah. such an innovative sci-fi show. It was top tier. It was amazing. Mm -hmm. mm. And I mean, a lot of the people involved in it were doing other things and got more famous. So they didn't right. get a chance to re like redo it. Yeah. All right. Just, uh, that's just our news for the day. Avengers movies and then... Yeah, making, you know, Castle and all that stuff like that, right? Yeah. and uh, Well, and, and Steve, Buffy the Vampire Slayer, don't forget that Steve most the, of the cast in Firefly appeared in either season seven yes. of Buffy the Vampire Slayer or Angel. We could talk about that forever, too, because y'all don't know <laughs> about my love affair with Buffy and Angel. But, uh, well, yeah. I've seen... I've, I'm a big Buffy fan, too, so... I can never really yes. get into Angel. I tried a couple of times and just couldn't, couldn't stick with it. But anyway, we've got a chapter three of the origins of the wheel of time to talk about today. And this is a heavy, heavy, thick chapter here. It's got a lot of information and a lot of really great stuff. So the chapter title is the wheel turns Jordan at work. So this is really kind of where Livingston starts getting into the origins of the wheel of time that's the actual series proper where like the ideas from jordan's head where they came from how he how he uh thought them up or thunk them up or whatever i'm not sure what's what the probably it is proper verb is there thunk that's there's not, no thunk that's not a real conjugation <laughs> of thing word. okay think it's not think thank thunk like no, drink no. drank drunk <laughs> like the grinch stink stank stunk yes. uh, stink stank stunk yeah, stink, you thunk it was so it is <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, anyway, this is where Livingston gets into talking about the ideas, how they formed, how Jordan uh, came up with them and developed them into the actual book series that we know and love. I, I did want to quote 
uh, the first page, there's a quote in here from Jordan that I think is a really great and meaningful one. So I want to read this out loud for everybody here. The first idea that came to me, the first thought, was what it really was like to be the savior of mankind. What's it really like to be tapped on the shoulder and told you are the savior of mankind? And oh, by the way, we expect you to go mad and die in order to fulfill a prophecy and save everybody. That was the genesis. There you go, people. Podcast over. Okay. This seems like something, and I don't know, like, I guess you guys, I'd like to get your opinion on it. This seems like a, nowadays, it's a pretty used up idea, I feel, or like some variation of this. And I'm not sure back then when he, he thought about this, this was, I think they said in the seventies when he came up with this, with this idea. I'm not sure if any of you can think of any other stories besides some old mythology, things like that, where an idea like this was used to create a book or a movie or anything like that. I don't know. What are I your mean, thoughts on this? We can go back to Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Seriously. <laughs> not I, in can. the 70s. I don't think that one came out in the 70s, though. Well, the well, comic, the comic book. Go back Before. then. Yeah. Well, no, you can talk about Buffy. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm thinking about, he thought of this idea and was like, this is a great and, idea. Yeah. Is this new original idea? It's, I mean, obviously it's very, you know, it's very Christ-like idea, yeah, but I mean, Christ Jesus. doesn't, Christ doesn't go mad, but does god i'm trying to think like i mean you the lord of the rings uses it frodo was supposed to die frodo was yeah willing to sacrifice himself right at the end he was willing to do that and you know he was ultimately spared but his life was impacted after he the ring was destroyed right his mm -hmm. life was forever changed and he was different and the ring changed him so i mean I think it's been around the flawed hero analogy has been around, but I don't think it was as evident as it was with Randolph or no, I can't yeah. think of anything. I think that that's definitely like his hook is like, like Frodo didn't know at the beginning, like what the price was that he was going to have to pay for doing this. Right? right. I think his hook is this guy knows from the beginning Hey, you gonna get all this responsibility, and you're gonna get all this pain. Good luck out there, and like that. I think. I know, I think yeah. That's by the a, way, that's an don't original. Fuck up. Time. Don't yeah. fuck up, because the world, as you know, it will be destroyed if you do. Just so you know, we're all counting on you. <laughs> yeah, we're all counting on you. Yeah, airplane. There you go. That's it's that's where he got this idea from. Airplane, <laughs> the movie, right? That came out in the seventies, right? Didn't it come out nineteen yeah. eighty? Oh, maybe or I'm 80? wrong. Eighty-one. Oh, was or, that was it 81? Oh, I don't know. I, I mean, I was I was alive, <laughs> but I was like eight or nine, maybe. <laughs> so uh Livingston goes into you know talking about three main, I guess, inspirations or sources or like stories where Jordan got a lot of his ideas from, which I this I had no idea about. Like obviously, some of them we we kind of talked about ourselves and kind of figured out, right? Like so Lord of the Rings was one of them, right? right. And Jordan's mentioned that it was like his favorite novel or fantasy novel at least ever and we see some of the close relations to lord of the rings and i think we talked about the two in the last episode about how he purposely made the the eye of the world or the, at least the first half of it very much like lord of the rings because he wanted people to feel he wanted it to feel familiar to people and then take it in a whole new direction which i think he succeeded the other one was and i please forgive me if i mispronounce this but lamort uh, darthur 
by Thomas Mallory, which is basically uh, just a lot of stories about King Arthur. I actually read this a, a long time ago. I don't even, I forgot I even read it and I don't even remember it, but um, it's a collection of stories or kind of melded into one story by Thomas Mallory of King Arthur and all of the myths uh, that surround him. And then also uh, something I'd never even knew about or even heard of the white goddess, a historical grammar of poet poetic myth by Robert Graves. So these are like the three main um, sources that Jordan pulled from to kind of create the world of the wheel of time. There was a lot of other stuff too, but these were like the three main ones. I think that that Livingston points out and kind of connects to. So there's a couple of things too about those that connections that I wanted to get your guys thoughts on Um, uh, with the Arthur myth. You know, they talk about three women that take Arthur to Avalon after he dies, the maiden, the nymph and the hag. And then also in the white goddess, you know, there's talk about the triple goddess, the maiden, mother and crone, which I think relates to Rand's three lovers, Avienda, Min and Elaine. So I wanted to get your, your thoughts on this. So if we had to if we had to categorize each of them as maiden nymph and hag or maiden mother and crone, who would be who? I don't like hag. We got to get rid of that I mean, one. Crone, crone is better. You like crone? Crone is, crone is bad. It's but not crone great. Is better. Not crone hag. Is, crone no, is, maiden is avienda. So then you go yes. from nymph nymph and mother are very different. Mother is Elaine. Mother is Elaine. She's also the nymph, I guess, right? She would be the nymph as well. Or would Min be the nymph? No. No, Min's the crone. Min's the crone. Isn't the crone like a witch kind of a thing? Uh, She's like like a... She's she's nice to die. Elaine's a nice to die. She's the older... She's the mother. Min is the older woman. She's older than Rand. right. Okay. Elaine is the mother. She's pregnant with his children. And Avienda was a maiden of the spear. She's the maiden. That that I give no argument to. I could argue that Min was the nymph because, you know, her and Rand were... Banging all the time, so. And Elaine's the hag. No, you could you could argue Avienda's the hag at the end because she's crippled. Ah. Yeah, but that would make Min the maiden. The mother, oh the maiden. No, that would that would make Elaine the maiden. No. Elaine Which is the maiden. Like Min is the nymph, and Avienda is Stop. the hag. Avienda's the maiden. <laughs> Elaine's the mother. And Min is whatever the, the other crone. Is. Yeah, the crone I, I think that, that the makes the most sense. That's, yeah. She's also, because the crone is also typically thought of as a seer, right. as a person, yeah. a visionary, and her visions of the pattern and her reading of all the books surrounding the prophecies. Mm-hmm. I think that that can summarily prove that she was yeah. his crone slash seer. Hag. 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 Uh, to be Old honest bag, with you, I think bag, I think a lot bag, of readers bag, consider bag, Minna. Bag, bag. I think a lot of readers consider Minna Hag anyway. So um, she is not, and she is more than a lamp. That's all I'm going to say about that. I agree yes, with you. I yes. love Min. We're all team Min here. Is this the chapter with the Min cut scene? Yes, this chapter has oh, the Min cut scene. While we're on Min, <laughs> do you want to go to the Min cut scene? Let's oh. go to it. We're on Min. Well, wait. Before we go there, there's one other thing I wanted to point out about. Um, the way Robert Jordan thought and the way he approached the writing of the Wheel of Time and coming up with his stories and his backgrounds, what he did was he tried to take existing myths in our real world mythology and reverse engineer them mm-hmm. and tr- and to come up with a way that the our myths were real at one point and then became the myths that they are in our in our world. So like thinking his story was really the origin of the our myths. 
right. which I thought was really cool. And he talked about the game of telephone. It was kind of like the game of telephone right. uh, or, or telestrations, which we played at Wacom. Yeah. <laughs> oh. oh, yeah. Yeah. How, yeah. How, you know, you start off with uh, a simple phrase and then you say, you know, pass it along to the next people and it becomes changed by the end. So this is how he thought, which I thought is a pretty brilliant and cool way to think of it. Like, hey, the myths that we know actually came from other things that really happened. And how do we get from that point A to point B? That's Athlete out of the box thinking. Paycheck. Yes, that's out of the box thinking. All right, you want to go to the min, Jen? Go ahead, go to the min. Uh, you want to? Talk uh, I don't about- have a book on me, but I'll talk about it. Yeah, you don't have um, to read it. <laughs> there was a scene in um, Berlon in Eye of the World where Min seduced was the word used, I believe, Rand, but I think she just uh, banged him yeah. in the barn. Had her way with basically. Him. She mm. was like, this is happening right now. And he didn't fight too hard. It was a sex scene between Min and Ran and Eye of the World. Yeah, definitely surprising yeah. scene for sure. Never knew that happened. No. And it was interesting in the scene because she kept kind of talking about like, almost like she needed to do it or this has to happen. Yeah, it's like she saw it in a vision and she was like, all right, it's happening. <laughs> I'm like, I guess little... she did see it in a vision, like, in that's, the book, in the real book. That's a but, great like, pickup maybe... line. Someone comes up to you and is like, I had a vision that we had sex, and if we <laughs> yeah. didn't, the world was going to go to hell. So we're okay. doing it. That would go yeah. well I mean, I guess it You have the book, by the way. <laughs> it could be the same vision, but she just didn't move as quickly towards it in the book. She just kind of like, all right, it's going to happen eventually, but I don't need to do it tonight. Because he was technically, like, still engaged to... <laughs> Equate at this point. I mean, apparently, Rand did a very good job for his first time in this scene. Oh, yes. He mentions when you screamed or something like that. (laughs) (laughs) I like when he... uh, And in the book, this is the first time he's ever had sex, right? Yes. 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 I think Jordan, he says in there, like, he was innocent, but not... He wasn't innocent, but he was... He hadn't, like, been fully experienced. So he did other stuff. Um, I he said everything, everything but. Every- but stuff. But. Um, Pull up the quote. You want me to- Pull up the clip. It doesn't work. I thought you would have had you, it ready. It, it doesn't work if you. Uh, Sorry. You cut you, me out. Me pull it. There you go. Here you go. Let's do butt sex. There you go. <laughs> <laughs> I can't call for it. You just have to do it on your own. Yeah, next I just time. Have, to have, I have to be prepared. <laughs> Oh. Dare I ask where that came from? <laughs> I don't. It even came remember. from one of our episodes. <laughs> I said it, but yeah, okay. I don't remember why. I remember exactly the circumstances, <laughs> but we won't. Okay. It was. I believe you were calling for a different clip to show to show up that referred to butt sex. I uh, think that's yeah, okay. we were. Okay. We were. It was our anniversary show, and we were um, pulling up clips of old episodes. Okay. And I said, "Do you want me to do this one or that one?" And you said, "Let's do butt sex," which was one of the clips. <laughs> Okay. Butt sex clip. <laughs> nice. Okay. <Right>. And it... <laughs> nice. So, so I want to get your thoughts. Like, do you would you rather have had this turn of events in the books? Do you think it was better that he changed it and cut out the sex scene with them and literally put it what like seven books later? Um, six yeah. books, seven books later. I I think I think it would have been controversial if it was left in. Where do you think he goes from there, though? If he did put it in. I don't know. How does he not feel like he has to marry Min immediately? He did. Well, she, he said he felt like he has to marry her, but she said, I'm not marrying you. Like, 
Oh, he does. He, that's in that scene. Mm-hmm. I forgot. It is in the scene. I, he just like moves on and well, he he's like, I can't marry you because yeah. I have to go. Oh yeah, you can dangerous. wait. We can get married. Does he say you can, we can get married? And you can just stay here and wait for me. Well, he said something about like, oh, we can get someone from Edmondsfield to marry us, and he's like, oh wait, Nynaeve's here. That's right. She could marry us. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Tom, you did you? What do you think? Did you think they? Uh, it would have been nice to keep this. No, no, no. I think it was a very good change. I think that, one, there's a huge emotional payoff for their eventual, the consummation of their relationship later on. Uh, But two, I think that this would have radically changed the tone of the series. The first book is Chaste. And if you would have put in, like, this is, I mean, it's not explicit, right? Like, the sex part mostly happens off camera, for lack of a better term. But it is very, it's more potent than his sex scenes normally are. At least maybe it's, mm-hmm. maybe because it's I'm reading it in a different context, but I really feel like it would have it would have changed the tone if this would have happened in the middle of the first book. I think he would have felt compelled to up the ante in this manner in later books, and that really would have changed the tone of the whole series. Hmm. What about you, Beth? What do you think? I generally agree that putting it off is a good thing, but I do appreciate if this is exactly how it would have been published if he had kept it in here. The last paragraph of this excerpt shows Rand feeling alone afterwards because it says, with her going, Rand suddenly realized that he was cold and the straw itched. Scrambling to his feet, he began searching out his clothes and tried not to think of how they'd gotten so scattered and buried in the straw. (laughs) It's a good gender reversal because so many times you see women kind of in that role of like being ashamed or being like Mm -hmm. feeling like, oh my gosh, what did I do? I've gotten myself. So I think it would have been very interesting to have it in there from a a male is feeling this sense of what just happened. Right. And so it, it, and in 1990, this would have been practically unheard of. So while I do like the progression of men in Rand's relationship and the way it's played out as published, I think it would have been interesting to experience this 30 plus years ago. When I first read the book in 1991, I would have been like, wow, you know? So <laughs> would you um, be would you have been ripping your bodice open? Would it have been a bodice ripper? Um no. Okay. And I listened to your episode last week, so I know all about the <laughs> bodice ripping. <laughs> I would not have ripped my own bodice <laughs> as a result of this scene. <laughs> she ripped his bodice, definitely, though. <laughs> Absolutely. Abs- 100%. <laughs> um, so I'm glad you brought this up because, you know, there was more in, in this chapter about about that dynamic, the, you know, the ba- the balance, the balance, you know, yes. he talks a lot about Livingston talks a lot about the balance, you know, between good and evil and obviously between men and women as well. And that's something that Jordan also drew upon from the white goddess um, was a, like a very matriarchal society. While wheel of time isn't really matriarchal society. Jordan does talk about how he wanted to picture a world where like the, the struggle for equality and women's rights had mm-hmm. happened like what would happen if that happened way a long time ago and we're already past that and things are different now and it's normal for women to have positions of power and quite common and things like that too 
And then Livingston goes into the yin and yang sign a lot and talks a little Mm -hmm. bit about that and about how there's a difference between the way Jordan did it, you know, and the real yin and yang, there's like the dot of each color on the opposite side and how Jordan's symbol purposely doesn't have that. So I thought that was really cool. Um, And how he got that from like the Eastern philosophy and probably from like his time spent over in Vietnam, you know, kind of absorbing that from, from those philosophies. And in particularly, he talked about the concepts of how Sidar and Sidine are accessed, right? In the books, you know, right, men seize Sidine and women submit and surrender to Sidar. And Livingston proposes that, that that's not really like people, right? We take that as like, it's a different force and women are weaker because they have to submit to it and men are stronger because they seize control of it. But, you know, Livingston proposes that that's not the case, that it was more of Jordan wrote it that way because it was the limitations of the character's understanding and experience of wielding Sidene and Sidar. So Mm -hmm. I kind of wanted to get everyone's opinion on that because I thought that was really interesting. I never even I never even took it that way. There's no person that can that wields Sidene and Sidar, right? That never happens. No, no. So there's no Uh, like any. No, Rand. Weaves with all three at the end, and through well, they, they the talk, yeah, they, they talk about linking right when they first start linking men and women. They say it feels different, like, but I don't know if that's have a, to submit. You know, like no, because they don't have to. No, I don't know they if that's can, the same though. They can feel the differences between like when you you see it from both points of view in the books. Like when a woman is in control of a circle that has a man in it she or how can a woman be in control of a circle when a man no, is in it? The no man they has can't to be in control. when a man is in control of the circle he realizes how different sidar feels but i think the thing that you have to remember though when you're talking about because jordan did very specifically bring in submission right and when he talked about suldom and demane and where mm-hmm. those come from the trust that a woman has to have to submit to Sidar, like that is ultimately powerful. Submitting and allowing yourself to submit is power in itself. It's a it's different like kind Lee, of power right? than taking control, but you're submitting to the forces around you. And that yeah. in itself is power. And I think- yeah that partially might be where that comes from. But I can also see like the female, female submit, men take. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's not not cool, but there is power in submission. Mm-hmm. I was thinking, when I, when I was thinking about it, I, I kept thinking of, you know, like Bruce Lee's famous talking about like be water and yeah. like flow. That's kind of what it reminded me of. Like, this is what they're talking about. Like not submitting, but be fluid and be flexible um and you're right like submitting is almost more powerful and more it's more almost more dangerous and more strong to be Mm -hmm. able to submit to something to surrender to something greater than yourself to get the power from it would be way more difficult i would think than to just seize it and say you're going to do what i want you to do you Mm -hmm. know what i mean like the potential to lose yourself in it would be much riskier than being like, okay, I'm just going to take you and wrangle you and you're forced you to do my will. So yeah, right. it's, it's easier to take something than it is to convince somebody to give it to you. Right. It seems like that's Nynaeve's big problem. Cause I feel like she could see something very easily, Yeah, <laughs> but the submission is an issue for her. 
Right. Nynaeve, Nynaeve would have made a great uh, male Chandler. Yes. <laughs> <She wouldn't. laughs> Absolutely. There would be no block. No block. <laughs> and I, I like to, and this is like one of the things that I really like about the Wheel of Time and what drew me to it is, is not even just that, but the whole theory of balance and the, there cannot be good without evil. Right. That's another thing Jordan talked about and Livingston talked about in here. Um, I think he talks about it later in the in the chapter that it's so important. That's part of the whole theme and story and and, and lesson of the book that like and, and we see this at the very end. Right. When Rand's fighting the Dark One and mm-hmm. he tries to remake the world with kind of without the Dark One. And it's just it's like everybody's kind of like zombies. Mm-hmm. Just as bad. Yeah, it's just as bad. And so there cannot be good without evil. So there's really the, you really need to have the the yin to the yang. It's just so cool. I don't know. This is really what I really loved about <laughs> The Wheel of Time and what yes. drew me to it and made it so different than a lot of the other stuff. Because a lot of old fantasy, traditional fantasy is like good at triumphing over evil. And that's not what this is about. Right. I'm just rambling on here. Somebody stop me. Can I just bring up something real quick about the, the binary and the duality? Sure. Um, that really impacted me. And I had to go back and I listened to the audiobook. I listened to this like four times because so I am the parent of a queer person who identifies as gender fluid, uh, non-binary. And sometimes they're feeling as a he, sometimes they're feeling as a they. So the fact that Dr. Livingston took a moment to put in here about what he thought if Jordan was alive today and was writing this in a more modern time, mm-hmm. that he, he would have gone out of his way to to address the um, intricacies of gender slash slash um, biological sex slash you know everything that we're seeing as becoming more normal today, especially as. as I don't identify as queer myself with being closely associated with somebody who does. I think that that's really important that that is addressed in this book. And mm-hmm. I think Livingston isn't making a broad assumption of that. I really do think it's something that Robert Jordan would have done because he really tried to be progressive. He was progressive for his time mm-hmm. 30 years ago. This was progressive writing. Um, so I just wanted to say that, like, I was really happy to see that Livingston addressed that. Yeah. And I like, LGBTQ. I like how I like how he made the distinction between like sex and gender. Yeah. I, I like too how you, like you said, like if Jordan was still around, he probably would have incorporated this stuff into his, into the story as well. Right. It would have been quite challenging for him considering like yeah. his, you know, it's so binary, the story. Right. And not, not that it's a bad thing, but in binary and the fact that there's two forces, there's two sides to every coin. Right. But there's a lot of gray too, right? And that doesn't yeah. necessarily mean to be a slash between good and evil. That's there's gray in everything. And I mean, I don't know definitively what Jordan would have done. The if he was writing it now, it might be a totally different the binary thing might not have been something he felt comfortable addressing. But mm-hmm. I, I appreciate the fact that that was brought up and discussed, even in just, it was just a page or a page or two in this entire book. I just like that it was addressed and I really appreciate that. So, mm-hmm. yeah, he does talk later on too about right, good and evil and how if you do a thing that you think is good and it has horrible consequences, was it really good? 
right? If right. you do something, what you think, is, what is, seems to be right, and it has, again, like, you know, thousands of people die or get sick from it, is it really right? So he does definitely address, like, gray areas. So it makes sense that he would would have addressed that as as one of those gray areas, I think, for sure. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's addressed in the books. And mm-hmm. you find out from this chapter that it was intended to be addressed even more directly in different ways. Like, his original storyline had Gilad turning like evil because of his issues with Brant, right? So like uh right. and, but like doing things that he thought were the right things to do, doing these terrible things, right? And even though that got changed, you see Rand does that. You see the white cloaks do that stuff. You know, that's part of the moral of Shadow Logoth is is doing all these terrible things, right? For a nominally good purpose, right? So yeah, I, I, in regards to how that fluidity may be addressed, I, I don't know how that would work in this kind of, right. I would say, you know, like this duality of forces. But like, I don't know. I, I would have liked to see. Maybe know. that's the end. Maybe maybe at the end, people are channeling men and women can channel both Sidar and Sidi. You know, they channel it together yes. at, the, at the same time. I don't know. But you brought up something, Tom. I wanted to talk about. Because you brought it up, uh, you mentioned Galad and some of his original stories, and and Livingston goes into some characters in here about some of their like Jordan's original intentions for the characters, and you mentioned Galad, so I wanted you to go talk a little bit more about that. Yeah, I want to um, take, I guess, the opportunity now. Uh, as I read this, the biggest revelation I think that I had in the entire book was found in this chapter, and I will, I want to officially, uh, I guess, give a mea culpa to something that I have long said, which is that Nynaeve is not <laughs> a primary character in the series. She's not a main character. She's a secondary character. Something that I felt very strongly about, as as great as she is, as important she is, that like plot doesn't revolve around her, right? In the same way that it does some of the other characters. However, I now take that all back and say that I am wrong 100% because <laughs> more than, like, at the beginning... When he didn't know who anybody else was, he had Nynaeve. And Nynaeve that he had obviously changed a lot, but all the characters changed a lot. So that's not right. it. Primacy to him, in the most earliest forms of the storyline, that character existed. And that character was immensely important to the entire story. And so, I apologize. Yeah, let's, all right, let's, you, know, you mentioned Nynaeve, so let's talk about Nynaeve. I, I did have a note here about her that I did want to talk about. Um, on page 85... I'm going to read uh, one of the notes that Michael Livingston put in here from Robert Jordan. She would, he first thought, cause land to oppose Rand at some time, and she herself would be, this is quote from Jordan, raped by one of the forsaken in the eye of the world. Later, this makes her vulnerable to the Dark One's forces. She is killed, then later reappears, brought back from the dead. She claims she was not killed, or at least that some special ability of a distant power wielder saved her. In fact, she has been brought back by the Dark One and is serving him. Uh, then it goes to Mor- Moraine will ascend to the Amarillan Seat. Nynaeve will at some point, after Moraine takes the Amarillan Seat, seemingly slay Moraine or cause Moraine's death. This should involve something about a cave. I love how he uh, he just brings that in there. Just, I need a cave. There has to be a cave. Well, that's like um, the Merlin. Yeah, I have something to say about the cave, too. That's like the okay. Merlin <laughs> part of it, right? <laughs> but finish, yeah. yeah in yes. fact, Moraine yes. will be trapped halfway between life and death. She will eventually be able to return to the world of men or be brought back. Whether this is an actual rebirth 
or whether she returns in some fashion other than as a living, breathing human is yet to be decided. So this is some of the early thoughts about Nynaeve, which are cool because it seems like he kept a lot of these ideas but moved them to different characters. Can I make a comment about the cave? Go thing? ahead, talk about the cave. I think it says, well, basically, um, the Nynaeve character, I think, in the King Arthur story was not the nicest person, which I think she wasn't supposed to be, obviously, in uh, this book either. And she had uh, sealed Merlin up in an enchanted cave mm-hmm. at one point. But then in this book, it says something like they had to move away from the cave idea. But I, I noticed that on the show, Nynaeve takes and gives life in a cave. In two different caves. A hundred. Which I was like, ooh, I wonder if they did that on purpose. That was the question that I was going to ask you guys. This was a question that I was going to ask you guys to see if you guys saw how many parallels. I wonder if the showrunners and the writers studied Jordan's notes because there are so many things that were in his earlier revisions that are in the show. That aren't in the books. And I would love nothing more than to be able to say to book cloaks, it's in his notes, bitches. Yeah. <laughs> it is from Jordan's head. It's not in the final draft. It's right. not in the published book, but it was in his thought process. And the association of Nynaeve with the cave um, and, the, and the sacred pool, because she's, she's synonymous to the Lady of the Lake. Yeah. like her ties to the sacred pool in the two rivers it's it's there and then like the eye of the world it originally jordan says in this chapter he was originally there were going to be seven eyes in the world yeah. and they weren't just going to be these little discs that you could pick up and in the show the eye or the seal the quendiar seal was actually in the ground and at the mm-hmm. end the whole seal is broken that is what jordan was originally going to use so i'm just mm-hmm. wondering like how much research did they do into his notes with team jordan before you know what i mean so like i wanted to say shove it book cloaks <clears throat> <laughs> that's that's definitely a rabbit hole that can be gone down i if I was the writers, I would not want anything to do with Jordan's notes. There's already too much material to work from. But it's probably very reasonable to believe that Rafe knew a lot of this background stuff, right? right. Being a fan of the books already. Sure. And may- he's he might have seen the notes before or at least read stuff about notes and maybe knew some of this stuff or made the connections himself. Like, we made some of these connections ourselves with, like, King Arthur and me being so, you know, thick as to not connect Egwene Alvira to Guinevere. I um, didn't either Tom, before this book. Don't feel bad. <laughs> until Tom brought it up in our show, like, like a couple of years ago. Yeah, but, I think it was like our fourth episode. Like yeah. I um, didn't either. I had no idea. Yeah, I, I never made stupid. the connection. But, uh, you <laughs> so know. stupid. <laughs> but you're right. It's weird. And Jen, I didn't even think about that. The the two caves where she gives mm-hmm. life, you know, in the uh, Loghain cave and then takes life. She kills the Trolloc in, in the sacred pool. Yeah. In the two rivers. Yep. Yeah. Yep. So glad you said that, Jen. <laughs> Very cool. Uh, and then, Tom, you were talking about Galad, how his story kind of changed as well. Mm-hmm. He was going to turn to the dark side. And there was ve- a lot of um, Arthurian connections, right, where Rand was going to take Morghais as his lover, and then Elaine was going to burn his eyes out and all kinds of stuff, and then Galad was going to be upset about it. So then... 
some beef between him and Lan, and then he was going to turn to the dark side and all kinds of crazy stuff that Jordan decided to change. It's really fascinating all of the ideas and changes and iterations that he went through to, to get to the final story and settle on what he did settle on. It's mm-hmm. insane. Yeah. Looks like at least for these things, every iteration took him further away from the Arthurian myths and towards mm. something of his own. Or really, I feel like in the end, he takes out all of like the really dark, incestuous, weird shit from the King Arthur myths, yeah. and he just jettisons all of that. And uh, and like that's I think part of his iterative process is like I don't really need the like oh he's gonna have sex with his mother or his aunt or whatever. <laughs> We're not so, talking about Game of Thrones here. Right. right, and that, that all I like, guess played off of that is like one scene in um, it was in Fires of Heaven, right? I think when Rand's like, "Wait, wait, wait! I just want to make sure yeah. I'm not related yeah. to her," right? Like that. If we were farmers, yeah. would we be related? Yeah, <laughs> yes, right. yes. <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I thought that was interesting. I, I mean, you can see some of what he originally had in mind for Galad going into what Gawain became, in that fact of like. Like having that resentment towards Rand and not and going down a a darker path because he's fed by that and and thinking he's doing the right thing, but like even that, like Gowan obviously never turns and becomes like a full fledged enemy of the light. Yeah. He just becomes an idiot. Just becomes an idiot. Yeah, becomes. I think he just no stays an idiot. You know, I have to no, defend. Well, I have to defend early Gowan. Okay, like. Reading the books as they came out, right, as each one was coming out, I seriously had a crush on (laughs) Gowan, probably until 1996 or so. Like, he was my book boyfriend back in the day. (laughs) And he really, his obsession with, with the fact that Rand killed his mom, or the thought that Rand killed his mom, was... There was so much that could have been done to to like make that more of a interesting storyline. I feel like Gawain was kind of like thrown to the side and like he was done wrong. He was still an idiot at the end. Don't get me wrong. But I have to defend the early writings of Gawain because he was not always an idiot. He was no, charismatic, he was a- charming, yeah, younger brother. I think, I think Gawain, Gawain is a good example of like thinking you're doing a good thing, but is it really good? You know, the road like, to yes. hell is paved with he, good intentions. Yeah. Like, if you're in Gowan's head, I mean, he's stuck by Elida. Elida was somebody you knew his whole life, and he doesn't have all the information that we have. So, it's, well, and think about I mean, he makes was, bad decisions, but, but you know, that really in itself to... wasn't a bad decision because Swan never shared what happened to his sister. Right. right. So, it really wasn't necessarily a bad decision right. it was an in the heat of the moment type of decision but once he made that he couldn't walk it back he just can't go back from that. oh he could have when Egwene told him yeah. your sister's fine Rand didn't kill your mother i promise yeah. you he you know he couldn't get out of his own way by that point yeah. right but okay sorry that's a tangent just <laughs> um i want to talk a little bit about the the dragon and the myth of the dragon and where Jordan drew upon that from. And again, it wasn't from just one place, which I think was what made it so ne- so unique what Jordan did. He wouldn't just say, all right, here's a dragon. Uh, dragons are in Eastern mythology. 
this is the dragon's going to be just like a dragon from Eastern mythology. No, he took dragons from Eastern mythology, he took dragons from Norse mythology, he took dragons from Christian mythology, and he mixed it all together and came up with this idea of the dragon reborn or the dragon. And I, I learned some things about Norse mythology that I didn't know, that there's a dragon and Jesus Christ is their connection to also Jesus Christ. Your um, dear? Your 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 uh, Jormungandr, who yeah. is a giant dragon who encircles the world, biting his own tail. And when he awakes, he lets go of that. And that's that's the signal of the beginning of Ragnarok, which Ragnarok. is the end of the world, um, which isn't really the end of the world. It's just the end of the world as they know it. And then the world kind of rehappens again, um, which the tail Sounds biting familiar. the Ouroboros. Yeah. <laughs> I always thought it was weird in the beginning, right? In the eye of the world, there's that whole uh, one of Rand's dreams with uh, Ishmael or Balzaman when he talks, they talk about the great serpent. Mm-hmm. And I feel like that's where this comes in. But then kind of Jordan gets away from that and doesn't really talk about the great serpent anymore. But interesting. And then also they pull, he pulls it from the book of Revelations and in the Bible with uh, the dragon and the seven seals. And this is where Jordan kind of draws on the seven seals. And you mentioned, Beth, how the originally it was going to be seven eyes of the world that held the seven seals, which mm-hmm. he changed from it. But clearly, Jordan pulled the seven seals from, uh, from the Bible. And then also like the Hindu and Norse mythology of the time being cyclical is, is another thing that he also pulled up uh, from. So... This it makes me symbol. wonder when did the movie Stigmata come out? Oh, because I actually saw that seven, movie. Because there were seven, theater. I think. <laughs> there, were seven, there were seven signs. I saw that in the movie theater. For some yeah. reason, I watched that movie a lot. It's not that good, though. <laughs> when it was on cable, it's yeah. not. But I don't, it's not. that's like a movie for like it's two not. years. I probably watched 15 times yeah. for some because reason. Because there were the seven signs, again. right? The seven signs. Yeah. And then, because in here it talks about like Rand's wounds. Mm-hmm. being similar yeah. to the stigmata from Jesus right. Christ and they're mm-hmm. not healing and, and everything. Um, yeah. So it just makes me wonder, like, did he decide, but it was, I know he wrote this before. I think that came out in the mid nineties. So he was yeah. already publishing at that point, but well, I mean, stigmata was around before the nineties. It was definitely around before the yeah, sure. <laughs> But the movie and pop culture, like yeah. taking it to the mainstream, right. That was, <laughs> I don't so. consider that movie part of the mainstream pop culture, to be honest with you. <laughs> Okay. It was, uh, it was. It was. It was there. It was out there. I mean, it was, it was out there. Yeah, it, it was there. Cult, but I wouldn't. Cult movie. Yeah. It was a, a a horror hit. You know. Yeah. I, yeah. I, it wasn't a hit. It was a, I don't think Trisha Arquette. But um, yeah, Trisha Arquette. Getting like so the the talk of the dragon that was actually one of the things that I highlighted when I was reading that because talking about the the Western European view of dragons as mm-hmm. destructive mm-hmm. and the Asian view of dragons being associated with life and harvest Power and, and prosperity. Exactly. And yeah. um, so I was a Korean linguist when I was in the army. So I learned a lot Ooh. about, I learned a lot about Asian culture and the dragon being honored, like the lunar new year and all of this. And, and when he said that there were beings to be honored not monsters to be feared. What a dragon was, what Jordan's dragon would be, depended on who was observing it. Mm-hmm. Oh I yeah, think, that's that was good. Yeah, so on the so on the nose. I think that's something that they did a great job of in the book. Is mm-hmm. like you you saw because you got so many. It got to a point where you know, like the slog, right? There are so many p- points of view from people who you consider are ancillary characters, mm-hmm. but it all ties back to 
how they viewed Randolph Thoris, the Dragon Reborn. And so some people thought he was a bringer of destruction. Some people thought he was the best thing ever. And I re- mm. so I really think that sentence is very defining on what Jordan and then Sanderson did in communicating who Randolph Thor was to the normal man, to the everyday mm-hmm. person. Right. The, and, and Jordan's upfront about that too. You learned yeah. earlier on, right? The dragon is going to save the world or break it or both. Um, well, you, you could, you could look that way at loose Theron too, where it's like what he did sealed away the dark one, but, he also destroyed. <laughs> he also break, broke the world. Broke the world. He, so he did like, save the world he, and break it. He saved the world and broke. Yeah, same thing. <laughs> yeah. So, um, yeah, and I like Beth. I like that Jordan does such a good job at that. Of like the dragon is, you know, who he is through the eyes of whoever's whoever you're talking to or or who, whatever character you're inside of at the time, right? Some people people think of him in different ways, and even the different cultures, right? There's the different the Karakarn and the Koromor and the different. Yeah. The, the different mythologies for the different cultures behind the dragon. It's kind of weird, though, and I'm going to go off track here for a second, about how, like, the Aeel, the Karkon for the Aeel was really very narrow and to, oh, he's going to just, like, break our culture. And the Koromor, I don't even remember what the Koromor story was. I don't think but they ever seemed- really touched on the Sifo prophecies. Like they acknowledge he was the Karamor, but he didn't other than the what were the name of the the, the people who lived on Tremolking who killed themselves the, after Amayar? Amayar. The Amayar, oh. yeah. So yeah. they they killed themselves after and he kind of brought that up briefly in here, combining yeah. it like alluding it to like Jonestown. Yeah. Yes. Um, yes. So the core, was, so so Shantanae just said in chat the Cormor was the core of the Ouroboros. Is she just joking around? I don't even know. I have no idea. Right <laughs> I don't know. I can't, <laughs> I can't tell, tell she's being serious. Yeah, she's, she's being serious. serious. She <laughs> is not, she's not being <laughs> I serious. I don't that. think she's being serious. The core the of the core Ouroboros. Of the Ouroboros. <laughs> that's a that's a sentence like the Cormor was the core of the Ouroboros. Yeah, a- <laughs> Say that three times. Oh, yeah, I did want to talk about this. Just a quick, there's a quick note in here about, you know, Jordan had originally um, planned to put in some sort of some some like religions and religious organizations, but then kind of dropped that and said, you know, we'll we'll do that with the Children of the Light, the the Tinkers, the Red Aja. We'll put those ideas into them instead of actually having outright religions, which I thought it's interesting. That's another thing that kind of drew me to the Wheel of Time was that there's really no religion at all in the Wheel of Time necessarily. But there are like obviously people and groups of people that have strong beliefs about mm-hmm. certain things. But there's no like we believe in this God and we believe in that God and we believe. But everybody unily, universally accepts that the pattern is real. Yeah, exactly. And the, there's a creator and there's a dark one. Everyone believes the same like fundamental truths, which I mean, a mm-hmm. lot of religions do. Right, they believe, but there's, that there's no like, diversity yeah. in it. The, diver- the 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 dynamics that change are whether people who can access the one power are evil or good. That's pretty much mm-hmm. where there the, are no houses the, of worship either in the Wheel of Time. Like, there's no right. organized like worship ceremonies mm-hmm. and things like that at all. Jordan, Jordan talked about this in interviews a few times, right? And he said, "There's really no need for organized religion because there's no faith." In the wheel of time, 
There's no, there's no, you don't have to take the creator and the dark one and the pattern on faith. It's just concrete and real in front of you. And it's the evidence concrete, is there all it's the time. tangible. So, like, with that, his interpretation is without the need for organized religion, you don't need houses of worship, right? That's mm-hmm. a racket. And that that's not it. Like, you don't need any of that. Like, there's no doubt. It's just a, a concrete reality that everybody understands the nature of the universe. And that was, I think that was specifically like thought out by him. Like, what would that mean in the world? Right. Mm-hmm. I love that because there's other series that talk about like the breakdown of religion over years, like over hundreds of years, what not to get on a tangent, but you know, like certain, I won't name series, but it's like, you know, one book takes place a thousand years after a prior book and everything has totally morphed and changed because of the word of mouth and myth turning to legend. And all of a sudden what happened a thousand years ago is the basis of a religion for an entire group of people. It's Mm -hmm. very interesting to see that he kind of like just eliminated that because it is what it is and it's universal. And, you know, you have zealots and you have pacifists because there's always going to be zealots and pacifists, but most people just accept it for what it is. Livingston goes in to talk about the 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 test manuscript, right? What was, I guess, submitted to Tom Doherty at Tor Books, which also included an outline for later books. And he makes some connections or he pulls some early earlier versions of the books and reads out excerpts from the books. Like there is a specific excerpt in Eye of the World where it's like Rand and Matt and Perrin uh, meeting in Emmons Field during Beltine or the day before Beltine, and he pulls out the actual, like one of the earlier versions of it, and then compares it to the version that's in the eye of the world. And they talk about the infamous Daniel, who made it to the book cover of Eye of the World, but not to the book because Jordan eventually cut him. And just kind of like comparing the two, you know, the early version versus the uh, version that ends up in the books, which I thought was really cool that he was able to do that because it's very similar except just tweaked a little bit but he had to go through the whole book and take this guy out even if he wasn't doing a lot even if he was like on a level of matt he had lines and reactions and he had to like reparcel them out to the other people and it must have been so much work what was like the it convers- was done it was basically done and what he was, was like nah, i'll just take this guy out and he's out well it wasn't he was like that right the conversation was between him and harriet harriet's the one who said take him out Mm-hmm. Right, but it's, I don't know. He's, and he was like, well, he's going to do really something in like book, book five. Yeah. And she's like, we might not get to book five. <laughs> Take him out. I wonder what he was going to do. That'd probably be like <laughs> book 11. But, you know, <laughs> he's like, he's going to show up on the mountain when Rand's on Dragon Mountain. And then he's going to do we'll something. If you make me spit out my alcohol, oh, we are going to have a fight. <laughs> don't worry. There will be words. I was intrigued by the fact that he was... In, he was inspired by, uh, you know, Daniel from the Bible. And, like, what would that mm-hmm. mean? And what could that thing have been? And Yeah, he talked about how Daniel was like a, like a prophet-y type, right? He saw the future or he foresaw mm-hmm. stuff. So what he would he Catholic have done? School? You don't remember? Wasn't that Joseph? Daniel the Lion's Den. Oh, he read Daniel the yeah. Lion's Den, yeah. Joseph read dreams. I mean, yeah. Yeah. I think whether you're like a religious person or not, there are a lot of great roots for good stories in the Bible. Like for, and, and you can, you can see the parallelisms 
for what made it into the Wheel of Time. It's not overtly any religion, but you can tell he pulled from, and I think he actually, I don't want to use the term honored, but respected the fact that if you look at like the modern mainstream religions in today's society, there are common threads through lots of them. And like, if you ever like studied the Quran, Jesus Christ is mentioned in the Quran. He's not a mm-hmm. savior, but he's a person historically who's referenced kind of like as a prophet. So it, it's interesting to see the commonalities. And that's, I think, what Jordan took honor from. And, and I can appreciate that from a, you know, where did he pull this from and, and get his seeds of, I don't know, I'm losing my train of thought. But anyway, <laughs> I respect the fact that he respected mythology and religion and pulled from them enough to make this entirely new, all-encompassing world that, you know, we can really appreciate. Mm-hmm. I want to get into the, the Tim and Dread section, um, just because I feel like we're obligated to do so. If it's there, we have to talk about it. So it is clearly, clearly stated in the notes, and I'm going to hold on. I'm going to pull up the page and I'm going to read this. This is RJ's note. Dem and Dread. Hated, feared, despised Lutheran. Like Landfear, he plays for larger stakes than most of the others who are trying to stake out worldly kingdoms. All in caps. He will show up claiming to be Mazram Taim. Underlined Mazram Taim. Taking advantage of Rand's amnesty. There you go. I, I know it was kind of uh, closed a little while ago, but this is from the mouth of the creator himself. Tame and Dread was a thing. Jordan changed it, but there's no notes. Livingston didn't find any thoughts or anything specific about why Robert Jordan changed it at all or when he decided to change it. But it's frustrating that he then said, like, no. Like, he acted like he never had that idea when he would talk about it. Yeah, he put he pulled As a quote like in we here from all, an interview, right? crazy, and then... I don't know. Why couldn't he just say he changed it after? Well, I guess it wasn't ever over. Right. So in a Dragon Con t- 2005, Jordan was af- asked if he was surprised by the Tame and Dread theory or if the clues le- leading to it were, quote, a deliberate ruse to lead your readers astray, unquote. He answered, quote, I was surprised. Really? You were surprised? <laughs> but I wasn't going to disabuse you of it for a while. I like to watch you squirm, quote. So from this this was 2005. When this note was written, I don't know. I don't think Livingston knows either. Um, he also talks about the who killed Asmodian. It's also in here uh, specifically. She does not know that Asmodian, they're talking about Nynaeve. She does not know that Asmodian was a prisoner of Rand, nor, of course, that he was killed by Demon Dread. A couple of things. One, Demon Dread? Is that what we're calling him? Yeah, now? I said Demon Dread. I usually said Demon Dread, but. Okay, so, okay. Demon Dread. Uh, Two, I was on some of the, the the message boards in the latter halves of the books, and like for the whole who killed Demond- uh, who killed Osmodian, and it was like Samuel Grendel were like the two main people, and then it was like you know uh, Slayer or Landfuhrer or somehow were, were the other two, whatever. But Demondre was like out of the running for that like, almost all the time, and with him as Taim, that makes up. So much sense. Mm-hmm. He's like, hey, look, I'm showing up here in a little bit. Let me take this guy out first. 
because I'm about to get involved with Rand, right? Because that's mm-hmm. the end of book five. Daim shows up the beginning of book six, right? Mm-hmm. But was Demandred always Mazrum Taim? In that, if he was no Taim, was he like always Taim, or did he kill Taim? And I then think like he killed Taim and took his place. I think and that's yeah, I how think, I read that thing. Okay. He, yeah, I think the idea was that instead of freeing, he did free him from the Aes Sedai and then killed him and assumed his identity. Okay. I think that would have been the, coil. the story. Okay. That, maybe he would single white female him or something. I don't know. I, I love that because it that gives more motive to that than just, I don't want anybody to train Rand, let me kill this guy. Right? Like, that gives more motive to, to that murder, which I like. But I love Taim himself as a distinct character. And I love yeah, the fact that... Yeah, he's really like, cool. Yeah, and I love the fact that, like, somebody in this age, the Dark One's point of view, is competent and evil enough to be elevated to a Forsaken. Right? You know, and I would say this is, I think, why Jordan changed it. Because I think he liked the character of Mazrum Taim so much that he was like, I, I don't want to make him dim and dread. I think he's he's so cool, he should be his own character and a real character. That's That was that would be my thought. And Tom, also, like you said, too. To be to like have an example of someone being elevated to Forsaken, that is a very acceptable reason for changing the Tame and Dread. Well, when you read anytime he's with Taim in the beginning, it's just Luz Theron like kill him, kill him, kill him. Like why did Luz Theron ever say like Samandred? He never says his name. He's just like kill him, kill him, kill him. It's I don't like, know. Maybe, maybe Jordan re-edited the book and took all that yeah. out. <laughs> Did you see what DT just point. put in chat? No. Yeah. I sat beside Harriet when she when she said he changed it because he was so annoyed how quickly ah. and easily everyone guessed it was Demond. Get out of here, DT. You're serious? Are you serious, <laughs> DT? That's frustrating. If you reread oh, 2018, 2018 Jordan Con. Oh my yeah. god. Yeah, like if you read Lord of Chaos. That wasn't edited. Like, he's the, he's the Mandarin in that book. He is. Yeah, yeah, no, that's, I, that's what I'm saying. Right. Yeah. Every time they interact, Luce Theron is like... There's that whole thing, too, right, with uh, Bashir, where he kind of looks at him, and he's like, he doesn't know who he is at first, and he's kind yeah, of... Yeah, Dana Lou brought that up. Yeah. Dana Lou brought that up. Yeah. Well, you heard it here, everybody. We have firsthand experience <laughs> of somebody uh, hearing Harriet say that he was frustrated that people thought of it so quickly. I mean, that being said... It wasn't a bad mid-story edit, honestly. I mean, it gave Egwene a great, glorious going out mm-hmm. and gave Lan an amazing way to yes. show yeah. his swords. And and going back, hearkening back to like when Rand said, or when he showed, you know, sheathing the sword, right? In the beginning right. of the Great Hunt. He's like, there may come a time, sheep herder, when you need to, <laughs> you know, right. sheath the sword. And that's exactly what Lan does when he's fighting Demandred. And I mean, so the, he definitely rebounded well from his original intent. If, mm-hmm. you know, so blaze of glory. Bon yeah, and the, there's I- also the whole, the whole gap that it kind of left yes. with the end of Lord of Chaos, right? With uh, when he's like, or it's in the beginning, I think what he says this, but then it kind of wraps up at the end when Demandred goes to Shao Ghul and talks to the Dark One and the Dark One's talking about Balefire. And it's like, would you use Balefire? And we really don't get Balefire 
in Lord of Chaos. So then Jordan's thinking like, oh, well, how do I how do I close the loop on this Balefire thing I put in the beginning of it? And he talks about, um, I think in the, in the note it says, unless done in shower or say Sean Chen. That was Brandon that came up with that, wasn't it? No, it's it's a note from Robert Jordan. And then Brandon expanded on uh, that. Okay, and okay. He, that's what happens, right? So Brandon finds this note and says, because he's okay. like, well, how the hell? Where's Demondred? He doesn't know. He doesn't know how to wrap up the Demondred storyline. And he finds yeah. this note and he's like, Shara, that's where we're going to put him. I so think this is where. Firing over I think this Shara is where. Nobody knows. Yeah, I mean, so apparently that's what's happening. He's just bail yeah. firing things in Shara and we don't, nobody knows about it. But clearly from the glossary, Jordan got bail fire from Beavis and Butthead. Fire, fire. <laughs> oh, that's right. Fire, yeah. fire. Fire. Fire, fire. I mean, cl- clearly <laughs> Beavis and Butthead had. An impact on Robert Jordan's Balefire, Firefire. I cannot picture Robert Jordan watching Beavis and Butthead, but if there's any footage <laughs> of that happening, please send it to us. Know. We will pay handsomely. I mean, it was like around the same time period. So it really sense. was. I mean, I remember watching Beavis and Butthead and laughing when I was getting drunk before the age of 21 when oh. I was in the army watching Beavis you know, and Butthead. You know, it's back Beavis and Butthead. They, they, re, they rebooted it. Why? They did? I heard it's actually pretty funny, but I don't know. Some things should never be rebooted. Me and my Um, friend in high school chipped in to buy the book copy of the like the script to the movie. Of course you did. I don't know where it is, (laughs) but why did I do that? Like, why did I need to own? You thought it was going to like appreciate and to be a be a very valuable piece of memorabilia. Well, if she has it somewhere, we don't. I don't know where she is now, but hopefully she still has it. The early '90s were consisted of X Men cartoons and Mm -hmm. Butthead and Run and Stimpy. I mean, pretty Uh, much. And the Wheel of Time. And the Wheel of Time. Of Of course, it all comes back to the Wheel of Time. (laughs) They all have connections to it. Um, I just want to, before we wrap up, there's one last thing I want to talk about, right? He talks about, uh, Livingston talks about the sequels and prequels, right? You know, we all know that there were three Outrigger novels that Jordan was thinking about writing and Livingston really didn't find much about uh, any notes or anything about them. He said... Quote, all that survives, in fact, are two tantalizing sentences. One depicts Matt lying in a cold gutter, the dice having failed him. The other sees Perrin on a boat sailing to Shanshan to kill an old friend. My heart is sad. Extrapolate on those. Extrapolate. What do you think (laughs) is going on in these two? I'm assuming these are two separate books. What's going on? Matt lying in a cold gutter, the dice having failed him. So... That's one that excites me the most because I I think mm-hmm. telling a story about Matt when he's not Taviran anymore. And he, That's what I was have thinking, his, right? He still have his the dice failing him is right, not being Taviran yes. anymore. Yeah, he still have his knowledge, still his memories, gone? but he he doesn't have his luck anymore. Like, what is that story like, and how does he manage that? I think that's very interesting. That's that's exciting, right? Uh, the other one's the interesting one because I feel like that's coy and you're supposed to think it's matt and it's going to be somebody else who's parent going to kill yeah i thought he's matt going too. to kill what was the name of the general who he oh tylee partnered with in the tylee 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 kurgan kurgan she's the kurgan from, Hi- from highlander i'm assuming he stole that from highlander kurgan. i don't know the but kurgan? i stole her last name for a dd game that's cool <laughs> We have a lot of, I think Joe, between Joe and I, there's quite a few 
Wheel of Time D and D name characters. Wheel of Time D and D. Joe was doing it before Lord, I ever read the books. Lord Lord Captain Commander Agamar. Yep. Technically, it was an Expanse game, not a D and D game, but TTRPG. You had a cat named Asmodian in one of them. I did have a cat named Asmodian. That's amazing. <laughs> yeah so there were more though they, then he talks about the uh the prequel novels which i think there was more information about which he mentioned and i think two of them right obviously he wrote new spring which came out and then mm-hmm. the other two that he was planning on writing were about tam's backstory which was and we didn't even bring this up which was kind of the original concept for the wheel of time yes was the tam character being in about his 30s and then going off to war and basically tam's background but then becoming the dragon's uh, flowing into that so this prequel novel would have been about tam's backstory and then also the morian and land story post new spring this would be the events leading up to them going to the two rivers and that's really it that's all my notes i have here so i don't know if there's anything mm-hmm. anyone else wanted to bring up or expand on or talk about i just on the last thing you said you want to tease the fact that we got we got more information about that go ahead so we spoke to uh, Michael Livingston. We we had an interview with him, uh, which will release sometime after, I guess, this episode is at least recorded, but probably also released. And that's, that's one of the things we asked him about a little bit more on are those um, those Outrigger novels and those prequels. And um, the, the answer is interesting. And I'll leave it at that. That's called the tease, we, uh, we asked We asked him if he... This wasn't even our question. This was Rob from Weekly Wheel News' question. If he was sanctioned to write an outrigger or prequel novel what would he write and he told us what what he would write um so you see my live reaction to this right (laughs) it's it's good i'm not gonna i mean to hype it but yeah it's it's a cool thing from a fan point of view i have mixed emotions because right jordan's writing and brent and sanderson's writing was so it worked so well in this series but i have to wonder if they were to license the Wheel of Time and allow other authors like Dragonlance or Star Wars or Forgotten Realms, if they were to license books to be written in this universe, how good would it have been? I think it it would, I don't think it would hurt it. It wouldn't hurt the franchise at all. And if anything, it could bring relevance to it. It could bring a modern spin to it. Because there's a lot of very gifted sci-fi fantasy authors out there, I think, that would do service to this franchise. Mm -hmm. And it could bring, you know, new life into it. I I don't know. I'm not saying that it would be fantastic, but um, I don't think it would be a bad thing from a fan point of view. I agree with you. I would love to see it. And I know, you know, Livingston says there's really, except those two sentences, there's really no information about the Outrigger novels. Right. I don't think, I don't think there's a shot we would get any Outrigger novels. I think prequels, since there is a lot of information to draw from and a lot of notes and even just existing materials that were published to draw from that, if anything Mm. would happen, it would be like one of those prequel novels. I would love to see what happens with the Sean Chan after in the fourth age. I mean, I would love to see if, avienda's visions were curtailed like you know did did end up being revolutionary and changing the way the soldom and demani worked and oh yeah yeah. i would imagine that's where it would have gone 
like a revolution, like in an age of enlightenment in the um, in Shanchen. But I know people are putting in our chat that Chariot, uh, Harriet's repeatedly said that yeah. there would be no other Wheel of Time spinoff novels. Where uh, this is like a, a kind of a morbid question, but where do the rights to the Wheel of Time go to after Harriet passes? I was thinking the Harriet's same thing. son, maybe because didn't she have a son from a previous marriage? She does yeah? She I does. don't know about the relationship he had with Jordan, but I would assume. Yeah. That's. I mean, it's a good question, but it's a good. I'm question. just curious. I'm just curious. Being morbid, yeah. it's a it's a good question to see where we because you know you'd hear about Tolkien's. That's what I was thinking of, estate. like the Tolkien estate just passing it down and down. I mean, there was his yeah. son and his grandsons, I mean, and it, they could you could come across a person who doesn't care what Robert Jordan wanted eventually, and not not that I want that, but I'm saying right. Like, if it, if there's a person that gets their hands on the rights and just thinks like, all right, cool, I'll. But it could be tastefully for, done, is what I'm yeah. saying. There no, is it could. A way. It would, might not necessarily be a bad thing, but right. it's just right. not what he wanted. Apparently. Just don't, exactly. Just, just don't ever sell the rights to Disney, please. <laughs> Whoever is. I mean, but is Disney uh, worse so than many, At least Disney would. So many things. The, Disney yeah. would drop the money into the SFX. That's yeah. true. I mean, that's true. Just. Mm. Let's Just see how the Willow show comes out. I'm excited about that. Oh, that's coming out soon in like a week yeah. or two, right? At yeah. the end of the month. Mm -hmm. Awesome. All right. I'm going to wrap it up here. We've been talking a long time, but it's been excellent every minute of it. And I kind of want to talk more <laughs> about it, but we'll have to wait. I think we've uh, talked enough about chapter three. Um, so let's Good wrap stuff. it up here. I want to remind everyone to follow us on social media. They can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Join us over in Discord to continue the conversation there and rate and review us wherever you listen to podcasts. And check out our merchandise and Patreon pages to support us that way. Links to all the aforementioned information is included in the show notes of this episode. Beth, thank you so much for coming on. It was amazing to have you here. Um, I where can people Where can people find you if they want to uh, interact with you? Um, so I'm on Twitter at Beth Doman. I'm on TikTok. I started recently doing like little 60 second reviews of different chapters and I'm rereading the entire series right now. Oh. So at Beth.Doman on TikTok and I do stream occasionally on Twitch, Beth Doman and on YouTube, I do be Beth Doman. <laughs> awesome go check out beth i'll put links to all of those in the show notes to the episode as well so you can go follow beth and check her out also i i, sh I should mention right uh watcon has been announced for 2023 oh, so go to watcon 2023 yes go to watcon.com to go get your tickets i'm sure they're going really really fast it's going to be in Columbus, Ohio again on July 14th to the 16th. Did I get those dates right? Yes. Yeah, yes. 14th to the 16th. Starting on um, Go Tuesday. there. We're going to be there. All of us are going to be there. Mm -hmm. Beth's going to be there, right? You're going to be there again. If you Beth, all right? can only go to one convention, I love JordanCon. I'm going to both again next year. But if you can only go to one, go to WatCon. It's going to be even better than last year. We've yeah. already started planning new things. We're going to have some new activities and events going on. Guest of honor is going to be the man himself, Michael Livingston. Yes. Mm -hmm. And Kate Redding and Michael Kramer are also returning. They had so much fun. Kate and Michael had so much fun at the first walk-on that they begged to come back. No, that's not true. And they drank, <laughs> or Kate at least, drank everyone yeah. under the table. 
Yes. yes. Top tier drinker. <laughs> and and in a in a classy way, not like in a totally sloshed, can't hold her liquor way. Kay Redding holds her liquor better than anyone. Yeah. Goat. They were really awesome. Um, so if you want to come meet them, all of them, yeah, go check it out, watcon.com. You know, follow them. We're all uh, they're also on Twitter and Instagram, so you can follow to find out any news going on. You know, there's possible there could be more guests coming. Um, there's a lot of time between now and July, so Keep uh keep on the lookout for more information about that. Go get your tickets, book your rooms. Um, we'll be there. We'll see you there. Um, any last words before we wrap it up, Tom? Yeah, Joe. Oh, so, oh, um, wait, 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 wait. Before we go, I'm gonna give you two hobo signs. <laughs> is it right. time for hobo signs? It's time for hobo signs. gonna make me pee my pants. So, oh so my here, god! Here are the two hobo signs for the day. Um, if you were to draw the omega symbol but turn it uh, 90 degrees counterclockwise so that the open side of the Omega is facing to the right. That's a sign that means the owner is out. Okay. If you were to saw, okay. if you if were to draw a very simple cross, just like a lowercase T, that means religious talk gets you a free meal. Great. Okay. So for I'll, all our I'll hobos, keep that in mind. So for all the hobos listening to our show, You've yeah. learned something today. Try those is signs Hobo out. Is Hobo politically yeah. correct this, these days? This segment goes over my head, guys. I'm, I'm, you've lost me with this segment. <laughs> I think I missed the first time you did it, and now I'm just like, I don't know. Oh, that was the episode it. you weren't here, Jen? No, I think so. I'm not, I'm not understanding the Hobo. <laughs> it's we'll okay, go back Jen. And I'm, I'm the there episode. with you. Jen's I like, know. I don't listen to episodes that I'm not in. So That's true. I don't. <laughs> I haven't listened to our, I, I'm very, I have a backlog of. Oh, Podcast Tom, maybe we can work the hobo signs into a WatCon activity. I feel like that is such a good... This is like... <laughs> oh, a, my God. This is a joke for me and you, and that's it. And <laughs> nobody, nobody, else else cares about the, nobody else cares about hobo signs. Well, except for the hobos. <laughs> that's yeah, it. You um, have a hobo, like, like a key. A, a bindle? You have to like walk key, around with no, it. Like a, no, like a key with the symbols on it. And then you yeah. put the symbols on, but people have to, like find what it well, means on their I key. I will tell you this, right? One of the things that is happening there is an escape room. There is a potential for so hobo maybe science. You're a hobo hobo that room? has to escape from somewhere. You have to no, escape from this. You following hobo, hobo signs. signs into the so if you don't listen to talk around Riyadh, you won't know what the signs mean. No, no, so we'll, everybody we'll make sure make you've been listening every week. <laughs> I'll remember that if I ever see a cross, I'm just going to talk about Jesus and I'll get a meal. Get a meal. That's, right? That's, That's all. It. <laughs> yes. And uh, one last thing, too. Um, just a heads up warning. I, I mentioned it before the actual recording. Next week, we're going to have more guests on. We're going to have the guys from Barside Chats. So Brian the Gleeman and Matt the Innkeeper will be on with us. We'll be heading into Chapter 4, the glossary, which is really exciting stuff because it's just reading entries of the of war. It's like reading a dictionary. So that's all, all very exciting. You guys are going to make me... Oh, my God, my... My 40, almost 49-year-old bladder cannot handle laughing right now. <laughs> and I will then be we're 49 have, in two weeks. Don't make me laugh. We're going to have more guests on the following week, but I won't announce that till <laughs> next week. More awesome guests. Uh, there was one other thing, too, I was going to say, but now I forgot. Oh, uh, we're, we're going to release that Michael Livingston interview. And we also have, Tom, we also have, what, two copies? That's right. We uh, reached out to tour. We're working. We're going to be giving out two copies of the book. Origins of, of the of, Wheel of Time. Of, yeah, Origins of the Wheel of Time, Michael Livingston's book, in tandem with us releasing the interview. So make sure that you listen to it. 
And then, as we normally do, we'll ask you some questions to make sure that you did listen to it. And then you may get a copy of uh, the book if you haven't been able to get one already. Or if you want to get yeah, another copy, give, away you give stuff. to a friend. We don't, we don't just give away stuff. We make you work for it, okay? Yeah, you got to listen all. to us. All right. So thank you to Tour Books for, for doing that. And if you don't win one from us, make sure you get a copy yourself. It is terrific. We've talked about it for like four hours already. Yes. Yeah, the audiobook, Hate Reading, mm-hmm. Reading the Glossary to You, is everything. There you go. Oh, there you go. Get the audiobook too. You can get a free copy of the hard, and then, uh, hard copy and then get buy the audiobook. Come to Wacon and then she could just like stand in the lobby and read the and read you glossary to us at your <laughs> leisure or at her leisure, rather. Yes, at her leisure. We don't want to force because you know, you and you could, if you get a VIP membership to Wacon, you could potentially give your drink tickets to Kate. <laughs> and give your drink tickets. In exchange for drink tickets, Kate might read you something. Maybe, maybe that could be arranged. I mean, I don't, I don't know. I mean, her drinks Kate are probably going to be covered Beth, by Beth, Kate will try to there. exchange anything you hand her for a drink at the bar. <laughs> I'm going to stop year. you. I'm going to stop you there because we're going to get complaints at Wacon that people are going to go up to Kate and said Beth said that if I give you my <laughs> drink tickets, you'll do something for me. Oh God! I'll, I'll oh. RP as Kate. There we go. <laughs> I'll role play Kate. I'll I'll do my best. I'll do my best. <laughs> All right. Um. Let's wrap it up here. I we've wrapped. This is the longest wrap up we've ever done. I feel like. <laughs> Sorry. I'll shut That's, up now. No, it's not your fault whatsoever. <laughs> it's Tom's fault and his homo signs. They're just so damn enticing. Thanks everyone for listening, and you'll hear us next time. <laughs>